Hello everyone. For the podcast today, I have Zach with me. Zach is a recent architecture graduate, and he and I have actually never met, but I reached out to him on Twitter because he had an interesting Twitter bio which said something like uh, he was sick of the cult of modernism. As you will find out, uh, modernism can be contrasted with traditional architecture uh, in school. So we talk about his experience in graduate school and architecture school and um, how traditional architecture is completely absent from his time there, along with a bunch of other interesting things. So hope you enjoy this conversation. Zach. Hello. How's it going? Ah, pretty good. And yourself? I'm all right, thank you. Um, my first question for you is uh, a scenario. You are going to the bar with a bunch of friends, but you are a pregnant mother right now. Uh, all of your friends order a Chardonnay or a glass of pale ale, but you can't drink. So what non-alcoholic beverage uh, do you buy instead? Um, I suppose a Virgin Caesar, I suppose. <laughs> a Virgin Caesar. Okay. The next time I go to a bar, I'm going to have to get one of those. Actually, it's very interesting because the last podcast host, podcast guest I had on said the exact same thing. So, oh, wow. yeah. Anyways. A popular Canadian drink. <laughs> yeah, that's probably it. Exactly. Uh, so my next question is about your background. Um, first, could you introduce yourself? How, um, tell me who you are and what you do. So. Uh, well, um, I, I recently graduated from an architecture school in Canada uh, last year in the spring of 2019. Um, and after that, I, well, before that, and then as well as after that, um, I worked at a architecture firm. Um, and I guess, you know, one thing that was just very um, evident to me going through uh, the master's program uh, in architecture, uh, and I think this is the case at many architecture schools in Canada, is it's just a very, um, I would say there's no room for kind of an ideological diversity when it comes to uh, perspectives on how to, um, uh, uh, well, it's just very anti-traditionalist, I guess I would say, in a sense. Um, they, um, sorry. <laughs> no, oh my that's gosh. okay. But what you were saying was really interesting. Yeah. You were, you were in grad school and uh, there, there wasn't a lot of ideological diversity there. And it didn't seem like they were hospitable to traditional architecture. Yeah, well, I guess, um, I mean, traditional architecture, in uh, defining it, I mean, any, I guess how I would define traditional architecture is, you know, any architecture that uh, uses some kind of ornamentation or uh, some kind of detailing that has been done a certain way for hundreds of years or thousands of years, the continuation of a way of building kind of, you know, mm -hmm. um, and I would say that in the schools, it's not so much a, I wouldn't call it a cult of modernism per se, not ideological modernism, 
but there is a cult of minimalism, I would say, a cult of clean lines, a cult of, you know, a minimalist aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And definitely there is no, um, they're very cold toward any kind of ornamentation, really. I mean, ornamentation is seen as a negative thing, I would say, unless your ornamentation is somehow, you know, uh, industrial or, uh, you know, a product of kind of the modern world. Um, and uh, like kind of, for example, um, a, a, a lot of projects often would use kind of a, like a plywood or something or, uh, which, and plywood is obviously a very, um, it, it's a material of the modern world of industrialization mm-hmm. uh, or kind of, you know, the steel aesthetic, like, and there, there can be modern ornamentation, but um, any kind of traditional ornamentation is quite frowned upon, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, my thesis, which uh, my thesis kind of involved, um, I wanted to kind of create uh, an architecture project that uh, used um, the architecture of kind of my uh, ancestors, like uh, my, and, and I come from like a settler background, like my ancestors came to Canada in the early 1900s um, and were uh, Ukrainian and Polish, um, like Slavic ancestry. Mm -hmm. So I was, I I wanted to do a project that, um, you know, uh, kind of referenced that kind of architecture, like the traditional Slavic architecture. And I guess uh, from the beginning, it was quite difficult to do a project in this environment. Um, You're kind of constantly told, uh, you know, how do you reinterpret it? How do you, um, like the, there's there's a lot of and en- there was a lot of emphasis on the reinterpretation and uh, it was it was very hard to kind of ex- it was very hard to get across um, you know just doing it like you know you just want to do this traditional Slavic building or you know if even if you wanted to do something else like uh, it would be very difficult if you said I just want to do a you know, a Gothic building, or I want to do a Tudor building, or, you know, I just want to do a, a Greek revival building. Um, it's, it's, it's not accepted. Like, you really, um, you have to, re- they're really only interested in kind of the reinterpretation of um, th- these kind of traditional architectures. And mm-hmm. they often, the, the professors, they often would kind of they say that they respect uh, traditional architecture and um, kind of this traditional way of building. But when it comes down to you actually wanting to study it and try to replicate it yourself, um, they obviously, they, they don't agree with that at all. And they, and in fact, they don't even really view it as architecture. Um, A lot of them kind of look down on it and say, if you're just, replicating an architecture that's not architecture which I think is a very incorrect notion because there are many schools in the United States and Europe that um, they they do practice traditionally um, I don't know if you're familiar with any but like the school uh, in Notre Dame in Indiana their architecture school is completely traditional uh, so I guess um, it, it really disturbed me because when, when I was being told all these things, of course, I went on the internet and, you know, I'm always looking at traditional 
architects and architectural things on the internet. And I discovered those schools and, and, and you know, I, I could clearly see that that is being done in the 21st century. It's not some outdated thing. It's done in other parts of the world. And I guess it just kind of, it, it, I, I thought it was kind of wrong. Like you'd think that if, if an architectural faculty really cared about their students or cared about their students' interests, if a student was expressing, you know, their interest in traditional architecture, you'd think that they would, you know, direct the student to like, and show them like, you know, it's done at these schools not completely invalidated kind of you know right right and like if you want to learn more about a specific school this is the place to go yes we are yeah. a different school we focus yeah. on this style of of thought and so if yeah. you affect your um thought in a reinterpretive manner i guess you stay here but if you want to learn about classical yeah. architecture you go here so yeah. when you were in uni in in grad school in architecture school no professor of yours ever said or did you know that you had preferences for classical architecture at that time and um, well, did you bring it up to a professor and say hey i want to learn more about this right um well, I would say during my undergraduate degree, I was definitely more um, immersed in, I guess, kind of the uh, ideologies of minimalism and modernism. Right. And I think, I think that happens a lot, like, because when you go into architecture school, you really don't know anything about it. So during the undergrad, the only um, the only things that you know about architecture is what the professors told you. So, you know, in the beginning, I was quite... Um, I, I, was, I was quite taken by what they were saying, but I think as the years went on, especially in my last year of my undergrad and in the summer before I started my um, master's, I, I just began to realize a lot of the things that they were saying I just really couldn't agree with. Um, a, a lot of it too is a lot of the projects that get praised, at least at, at my architecture school, they, they're very abstract. They're very kind of... Um, it, it takes a lot of explaining, if that makes sense. Like the person whose project it is, they have to do a lot of explaining for you to understand it. You know, if you're just looking at it, it's not kind of self-evident. Whereas I think, you know, one thing I love about traditional architecture is, you know, you look at it and it's, it's self-evidently beautiful. I mean, there's no explanation. Like the hum uh, any person can appreciate it. It doesn't take any explanation. Right. And a lot of the projects that go on at, at, at my school, I, I, I mean, I couldn't, understand them at all like you look at them you look at the drawings and you really can't take anything away from them and I think um, a, a major problem is and I know I'm not the only one who felt like that like there are a lot of other students who feel like that but obviously people don't really they're not gonna you know say anything because that's kind of the kind of project that's promoted in the school that's like you know it, it, it's uh, it's, it's shown to be what a good example is. So, I mean, in any, you know, industry or faculty, it's hard to go against the established, you know, what is the establishment in, in that area. Right. Um, so, yeah, it, it was like, it, it was a process for me to kind of come to see this side of, and, and to like traditional architecture. Um, it, it also really bothers me too. Like, you can't even use the word beauty. Like, they will criticize you if you use the word beauty. Like the, the idea of objective beauty bothers them, which I, I also really just couldn't, I, I couldn't um, 
I just couldn't agree with that. You know, like it's, it's something that doesn't make any sense. I mean, you can look at, there's a lot of classical buildings out there that are beloved by the general public. Like everyone likes them, but it's only really that it's only modern buildings where a lot of people tend to not like them. Like where there's more kind of a differing opinion. I mean, everyone can agree that um, like the Colosseum is beautiful or everyone can agree that, you know, the, the Westminster parliaments in London, it's a beautiful Gothic building. I mean, they're like, it's, I mean, everyone can have their taste, but there is a such thing as objective beauty. Um, So in, in my opinion, I, I didn't go to architecture school, by the way. I took a degree uh, for my undergrad in philosophy, political science, and economics, and I haven't gone to grad school. Um, but uh, when you say objective beauty, what do you mean by it being objective? Do you mean to say that any person from any nationality or background, when placed in front of a building, will find it awe-inspiring or will find it beautiful? Or do you mean that or, like, where, what is the source of the subjective beauty and how do you know that it, it exists? Uh, in a sense, I would say yes. I mean, I, I, I would say an objective beauty. Um, yes, I mean, any, any person can look at it and appreciate it. And I, I think, like, obviously, I think that is kind of what the pursuit of classical architecture has been, like, you know, for like hundreds, thousands of years, kind of the careful study of what, what proportions uh, what materials, like how you assemble things together in an aesthetic way, um, those proportions are kind of universal principles of beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, it, it isn't just classical architecture, I would say, like Western classical architecture. I mean, I could look at a traditional, you know, Chinese building or traditional Japanese building, like um, a traditional Japanese timbered building from like a, from their, like, uh, an, an old traditional Japanese timbered building. And of course, even though I'm not from that culture, I can appreciate it. Like, and I could sense that there is something special about it. Like it, I, you could sense that it, it, it um, you know, it's part of a culture that has ex- existed for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what about, so your professors didn't like the idea that there was objective beauty. Uh, I guess they would think then that subjective beauty is also something that, or beauty is subjective, and therefore there's no, um, there's, it's relative to every single person who's looking at the thing, and therefore you can build whatever you want. But like one thing I've thought of recently is that, so what if it's subjective? Like there's still um, things that are better or worse subjectively. Like taste, for example, if you're eating bitter food, um, it may be subjective, but you still, um, regardless of culture or your upbringing, you're still going to find sweet, fatty, and high-carb foods to taste better than bitter and, I don't know, tough foods too and that's still subjective do you know do you know what your professors would say about that or Um, well i would say i mean beauty isn't even really a word that they would use i mean even like subjective beauty they were the word beauty doesn't really it's not really an important word i would say in in architecture schools anymore um in canada at least Mm -hmm. uh one word they use a lot is critical like oh how can this project be a critical project um which I think is quite, you know, quite useless. I mean, 
um, they're also very anti-nostalgia, very anti, um, uh, I, well, I, I would say like the, the problem is and like being and they don't like the idea of people clinging to kind of arbitrary notions or nostalgic feelings. But I would say that's a very anti-human view. I mean, you know, you, you look at an image of like a traditional English village with beautiful stone buildings and like, and even though those are invoking feelings of nostalgia, I would say what's wrong with that? I mean, it's what we find beautiful and architecture is where you live. I mean, it's the place you dwell. Of course, we should find it beautiful. Who cares if your architecture is critical? I mean, or who cares if it's critical just to some elite academic group? I mean, that's not important at all. And um, I think it's quite evident in just the kind of housing that the majority of people live in. Like, where do the majority, especially, well, especially in North America, the majority of people choose to live in housing developments that are not modern housing developments. Um, and that's not to say that housing developments are good quality. I think a major problem in Canada is um, even though the general public does crave kind of a more traditional aesthetic, the architects and the designers are not trained in how to make a, you know, a proper traditional building. So a lot of times the kind of architecture you see in Canadian housing developments is this very odd hybrid of modern traditional architecture that doesn't look good at all. Like, you know, it, it, it's, it, they, don't, they don't make a proper traditional building. So it, of course it doesn't look good because they're not trained to make one. Um, but I, I think like that is kind of the, the crux of it is they're about being critical, which I, you know, I, I just can't, I can't understand that view at all, really. It's, you know, it sounds so familiar to these movements that are going on in a whole bunch of other fields of study as well, yeah. like in law and in philosophy and in, um, in basically everyone where, I don't know if you are familiar with the whole culture wars that happened in the last few years with social justice of course, warriors. Of course. And, and like in, in law schools, for example, the idea is that um, our legal system is oppressive by nature yeah. and that it brings down um, people of color by its nature because it was built by white settler colonialists. Um, and the thing that I, criticism is important, but the point of criticism is to build something new. It's like, exactly. it's, it's to improve um, something that you are criticizing. It's to separate the wheat from the chaff. And so when you're criticizing a legal institution, for example, I think that um, Canada, maybe not the US, but I'm pretty sure that Canada has one of the best legal systems in the world um, right now, and definitely better than in history, I think. Um, and we should be grateful for that. And there are lots of problems within the system, but if you're gonna criticize them, you should criticize them with the attempt, with, with the intention of improving them rather than bringing the whole system down. And it seems like yeah. it's something really similar is happening in architecture schools too, where you're not trying to improve architecture by critiquing it. It's, it seems like you're trying to make a mark by yourself as an architect, uh, yeah. Yeah. to stand apart actually speaking of that too like that um you you use the word subvert i would say that's also a word that is quite often used in in in, in architecture schools subverting expectations or you know subverting the kind of status quo mm -hmm. um 
and 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 a lot of times i would say also another problem is uh well in in reference to the culture wars um that is something you also can't ignore i mean almost all of the architecture professors are left wing for sure and i would i would say radical left wing like um and and you know of course i think there is dangers in politicizing i i, I mean i would not want to politicize architecture too much because i think anyone can enjoy a beautiful classical building. I mean, it does not matter whether you're right or left wing, but I think that obviously people who are traditionalists or who like traditional architecture probably for sure tend to be conservative or right wing because, I mean, like that's what conservatives want to do. Or at least to, me, I mean, to me, I mean, I would like to conserve, like, you know, you want to conserve your traditions. You want to conserve the classical Western architecture traditions and, and styles. Um, and obviously, you know, there's no tolerance for that. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine if you said to one of your professors, you know, I just, I want to do a project that perpetuates and conserves um, traditional Western architecture. I mean, they would for sure talk, and, and you know, they talk too much about politics, I think. I mean, you, oh, it, it is actually quite insufferable. There were many times where I, you know, again, everyone can have their political beliefs, but I, I just, I don't think even, you know, architecture school is not the place for professors to kind of lecture people on their progressive left-wing beliefs. And if they do, I would say then it's kind of incumbent upon them to bring in some right-wing architects. I mean, how can you have just one side? It's, it, it's really not fair. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think it creates a level of intimidation. I mean, all, like, do they really think all their students are left-wing? I mean, obviously, there are going to be some conservative students among them. And it, I would say that creates quite an unhealthy power dynamic, kind of, you know. Mm -hmm. Obviously, conservative students are going to feel like they can't speak their mind fully. Um, uh, so, I want to, so, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I joined this Facebook group called North American Teens for Urban Transit, or something like that, and NumTOTS in, in abbreviation. And it's so funny because they're all pretty left-leaning. And if you are pro-capitalism, or if you think that the market should, short out, should sort out how uh, towns and cities should be built, they will criticize you deeply. But one really interesting thing that I've noticed on there is that they like urban density, and they like when... Right. when older buildings are built and i'm thinking holy crap this means that there are left-wingers who are extreme left-wingers who really like the idea of building old school and like like it's so exciting because this means that here is an issue on which both left-wingers and right-wingers can agree which yeah. is exactly what i think the world needs more of today is something that people can agree on so even and this is why i disagree with many of the um, Twitter pages on on Twitter architecture pages on Twitter where they kind of move into a bit more of a like a conserve like a relationship between ethnicity and architecture and I think it's a bad idea because you end up alienating many of the left wingers who think that they should that yeah. you should also conserve stuff. Well, I, I I know the kind of pages you're talking about, and I would say I'm 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 a little mixed on that. I mean, on one hand, I think every ethnicity is or every culture ethnicity however how you define them they are entitled to have kind of their own style of architecture that they feel is a part of their history right. um 
you know, for example, Tudor architecture is, you know, a part of England. It's, it's a type of English architecture. And I think what I don't like to see is, um, you know, when left-wing people will say, oh, you can't build that architecture anymore because that architecture is connected to, you know, an oppressive past and, you know, whatever. I mean, I, I think when, when, in that case, I'm sorry, I do agree with, I would say I would support the, like, you, you can't, you shouldn't be taking um, any part of someone's culture, uh, including their architecture, away from them. Like, you can't tell them, oh, you shouldn't build this way um, because I don't like some parts of your history, just just as I think every culture does deserve to have, you know, a, a national architecture. I mean, I don't really have a problem with architecture being a part of um, a nation's identity. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I can understand what you mean by it alienating some left-wing people. Right. I guess that's kind of how, that's why I was saying I think it's tricky, you know, the, 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 re the relationship between architecture and politics. Because yeah. it can alienate people, I agree. Um, but I, I, I wouldn't. I think that's kind of like the. That's what a lot of professors, I think, would say if, if someone wanted to do a, you know, a classical, a classical building or or any building that comes from you know a European culture or, or uh, yeah, traditional culture. It's, yeah. Well, traditional yeah. Western culture. I, I think. Yeah. Yeah they might they might find favor in like traditional japanese architecture we should well, see actually what's really what's really interesting is a lot of the i would say a lot of the international students like international students in the faculty of architecture who kind of decide to do a traditional project from their culture mm -hmm. i would say they are definitely um treated differently i mean I, I think, you know, they still will tell them that, they, oh, you should try to rethink this and, oh, you can like reinterpret this. But I would say, um, I, I think it's a, just a different tone. Like uh, even during my project, there was even points where one of the professors said, oh, you know, there is some problematic aspects of you doing a project that celebrates settler, you know, settler architecture. And, you know, I, I just, I, 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 in that case, I completely disagree. I mean, why shouldn't I be able to do a project that, you know, um, th that, that's a part of me, that's part of my ancestry, just because it's a, you know, uh, settler culture. I mean, well, that could be like a whole other subject, but, right. you know. And, okay, and, and the other thing is, like, it, what you're saying sounds really familiar uh, with the way that language is being used or um, the way that language is being abandoned today with political correctness, which is basically that if there is a word that is uh, tainted, let's say, let's say, for example, that, what's the word? Um, the one that comes to my mind is a flip chart. Uh, I don't know if you watch Jordan Peterson, but he talks about this, this woman who was coming to him for counseling and she had a flip chart in her office that you write stuff on and then you flip over. And so the administration decided to not use the word flip chart anymore because it was offensive towards Filipinos. And oh, yeah. apparently it's a slur to call someone a, a, a flip or something like that. And I think that it, the same thing happens with other words too, where you start abandoning them because they um, start to gain negative connotations. And I think that that's the opposite thing that you should be doing because you're losing the battle that way. You're seceding um, linguistic 
ground vocabulary grounds to your opponent so to speak and the same should be the case for architecture where like if classical architecture was used uh for uh, Mussolini's purposes or Hitler's purposes in in fascism that does not mean that you should abandon them it it means that you should um you can what it they don't own the the style yeah exactly so uh, okay and you also said that you you bet that many conservative students probably felt like they weren't able to raise their voices and and uh, discuss other things. Uh, I hope to have Lindsay Shepard on this podcast soon, but she she's gone through something really similar. And when I was in school, I noticed that one thing that really helped was when I was when I lifted up my hand and did raise something contrarian, even if I didn't yeah. agree with it, because it it even the people who don't agree with a conservative view still feel like they're walking on eggshells when they're talking yeah. about a subject. For and sure. that's not good for thought at all. Yeah. And uh, I, I found that what works well is that if you actually just raise your hand and ask that question or say something provocative, and then everyone laughs at you, you included. And then after that, you know that it's, right. you're not going to die. Um, did yeah. any students in architecture school for you do something similar? Uh, no, 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 I can't say I ever, no, I, I, okay. I, I never, I never saw anything like that. No. <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, there, there were times like where, um, I mean, I don't know if you're really familiar how like the architecture school process works. Like, um, we have, uh, they're called reviews, which is basically like where you present your work. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then the professors are like, they're in the audience and you know, it's like a presentation. And I, I saw, I, I, over the course of being in architecture school, I did see some heated reviews, but those debates kind of were, they were taking place within their own paradigm. Like it, it was nothing challenging really the core narratives that, you know, kind of uh, are prevalent throughout the school. It mm-hmm. was more, I would say, just kind of internal debates about, you know, their, yeah. So right. I, I never really, I never, I never saw anything that, truly challenged um kind of the the core of of what they stand for i would say right okay um let's see so i another, guess sorry. sorry no no you go okay well another thing i was going to say too just in reference to kind of um uh ideology well political ideology is even kind of um the subject of projects uh, I would say is quite political. Um, for example, like a lot of times when people are trying to select a project type, like kind of the function of their building, they're often encouraged to do a project that is um, like I would communal or something that is very, very. Um, I well, I, I don't. I, I'm not really sure how to fully describe it, but. Projects that kind of involve, I would say, like more uh, young people interacting with each other or like people with kind of subversive ideas rather than, you know, just designing a project for families or like, you know, designing something for ordinary working class families. Like it's the, 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 the subject of it is always like, oh, maybe this is kind of like a, a place for like people who think differently to live or like this is a, you know, like, like, like kind of this kind of thing. Like never once did I see any project where it was just like, you know, let's design an ordinary 
housing development or let's design something in a way that's, you know, which, which I think is also a reason I think um, traditional architecture can be why it's so kind of beloved because uh, like just as an example, like if you, uh, if like in London, in, in the UK or all over Europe, like just the traditional model of the row house, do you know what I mean? Like kind of like, uh, well, a, a series of like houses kind of attached to each other. Okay, um, yeah. You, well, you see them in New York too, like just, you know, row houses. And they're, they're very simple, but they have, you know, nice uh, traditional details like, um, you know, the, the cornice and, and an, a quality stone or a quality brick. And, you know, they're not trying to be revolutionary. They're just kind of an, an assemblage of some nice details that link us to the past, like details that have been worked over for hundreds of years, details that people find um, pleasing to the eye and beautiful, and people enjoy living in them. Like, and it's funny because uh, we, in architecture school, you're shown those as precedents and, and, and they, they kind of like talk about, oh, like, look how nice this is. Like, you know, the, but as soon as you, if you want to try to design something that's just like it, it's like, no, it's like, oh no, you can't do that. You have to reinterpret it. Mm. But why? Like, it, it's, it's such a, there's no reason to reinterpret something that it's kind of like, you know, why reinvent the, reinvent the wheel? I mean, there's, there's no need to, we, we know, like, we know typologies that humans like to live in. There's no re like, there's no reason to invent new ones. Um, and, and these buildings, you know, they off they often are a very simple shape, you know, rectangular, uh, and which kind of contributes to their, you know, they, they can be made cost effectively. They can be made with local materials. But if you look at some of like the projects that in architecture schools, I mean, they would be, um, astronomical to, to build cost-wise. I mean, like these are not things that ordinary people probably could build or ordinary developers could build. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. what happens then when these students who are practicing architecture, um, assuming, oh, I mean, they don't have the constraints of a budget because they're right. just making these models. What happens yeah. when they go out into the real world and they try to build real buildings? What, like, Well, I mean, this is a question that I often ask myself because it's something that I have struggled with. I mean, having worked in a architecture firm in Canada and seeing how different it is that from academia, from the world of school, for me, it was quite challenging. I mean, I found it quite jarring and, and I, I still find it quite mystifying how the two can be so different and, and why people haven't said anything about it. Like why has nothing been done about it? I mean, it, I, I do find it shocking. And I think the result of this is like when you are, when, when there is a culture of like being very avant-garde and being very subversive in school, and then you enter the real world, I, I think you are not really prepared for the real world. And you, you end up not being able to create, you know, I, I, I think it just creates a lot of issues. Um, and I think you, I, I think a lot of, I think a lot of people just kind of end up uh, I mean, I think a lot of people do end up kind of just adopting to the prof uh, the professional life, the professional world. But I mean, maybe maybe it is just a few people. Like maybe it's not so common. I mean, I I guess another thing too is the professional world of of architecture, especially in Canada, it, it's also very um, modernist. Like the the people, the heads of architecture firms in Canada, most of them. Do like to make modern buildings 
So, I mean, I guess as a traditionalist, it's obviously a bit harder for me, but maybe if you come from school where there is a culture of this minimalist aesthetic, and then you go to the professional world, even though it is different, it's still kind of operating under the same, the general same philosophy, if you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's operating under the general same outlook. So maybe it's not so hard. Hold on. So how, how did you find it jarring though, when you moved from the world of academia to the world of real world practice? What was, what was jarring um, about the way you did your work? What changed? Well, I would, in the professional world, it all really just comes down to money. Um, And I would say, uh, today's clients tend to not care so much about architecture. They care about their budget and they care about how do I get the, you know, the cheapest building in the quickest time possible, uh, and which obviously is not the attitude in school, especially since we don't have budgets to work with or anything. So, I, I mean, that was, that's what was quite jarring to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that also is, like, I, I would say, like, there are three kind of facets of this issue with architecture. You have, like, the, the academia, the, the profession, but then you have the general public. And I think the problem that like the thing that modernism has done to the general public, um, you know, before modernism, even kind of low income housing, I would say it had more of a quality to it. Like people still invested in quality stone and brick buildings, even in low income housing. But I think the problem now is like after kind of this rapid industrialization and like now you have ultra cheap industrial building materials and people who like developers, they they know they can get something like super, super cheap. So like to them, and, and the, uh, since all the architecture schools fostered this, um, fostered the ideology of modernism, which encourages clean lines and, 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 and clean facades, which, you know, I mean, modernism and affordability kind of, well, I wouldn't say affordability, maybe cheapness, you know, modernism and cheapness go hand in hand because obviously it's uh, cheaper to just make a, a flat facaded building with no ornament and no detail than it is to make a, you know, a, a traditional building. So mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, whereas before the general public, before modernism, I think they kind of had an understanding of the kind of quality to expect from architects. But I think now there's kind of this chaos, like people do just, you know, everything is so expensive nowadays. And, and, and not to say like, you know, you don't want to blame people for, kind of going after the like whatever is being offered to them on the market because that it is what's being offered to them so yeah like I I would say like that that is a a major problem uh just the yeah right right and and um uh before we moved uh so this is tough because there's a question I've written down and then there's a question in my head I'll ask you the one in my (laughs) head um so it sounds to me like modernism is a very sleek style, which is, it is what it is. But then when you go into the professional world, it gets cheaper too. And people are seeking the most cheap buildings possible. And classical architecture is, can be more expensive than modernist buildings. Um, but in the long run, but you a couple of minutes ago, you also said that row houses that were built with standard stone and brick could look really good and they could also be cheaper. Is it the case that in the long run, uh, classical architecture 
uh, is cheaper than modern architecture or, or, well, or what? Well, I, I, well, in the long run, in terms of the building lasting, I would say yes. I mean, the only buildings that have lasted thousands of years are stone buildings. Uh, those are the only ones that have lasted. Right. But I would say, I mean, another thing you have to kind of think about is, you know, in every major city in Canada, well, in North America, in the world, uh, I mean, I, I'm not sure if you kind of, like, you know how in, in every kind of major city, they all have kind of their, you know, their downtowns and, and a lot of them have like kind of heritage districts where they have like all, like a lot of old warehouse buildings. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these warehouse buildings have been kind of converted into other things, you know, converted into condos, converted into apartments or small businesses. I mean, who, what is going to happen to, you know, these Walmarts and huge department stores when, when that's over, nobody is going to want to live in those. Like, I think a lot of time, like these modern buildings will not have long life cycles because, well, I, I think they're just ugly and no one is going to want to preserve them. Like they, they are, it's disposable architecture. They are being built, um, you know, just for this one function. And, and I, I don't think the, the architects or the developers who are building them, they're not really thinking, you know, 100 years down the line. They don't care if the building will be here in 100 years. Yeah, that's that's so sad to hear. Um, disposable architecture. I don't. There's something wrong when I hear that. It's so sad. It, it's um, it's actually kind of it, it's funny too because I think like capitalism, uh, especially global capitalism, this hyper global capitalism has really accelerated kind of the industrialization of building and this cheapness of building. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, and and I just think it, it's actually a, a funny kind of thing is. A lot of the professors, you know, will talk bad about capitalism and and talk bad about kind of wealth and greed and talk bad about kind of stores like Walmart and all this. But I think like what they don't understand is like it, the embrace of modernism by the architecture schools allowed this to happen. I mean, like the, right. that is what allowed it to happen because the all of the architecture schools went modernist, which encouraged this way of building. And this is where we are now. I mean, if modernism never happened, or if there was, if there was some more resistance against it, then, then maybe people wouldn't be so, um, people wouldn't look at architecture as, uh, they, they would view it with a, they would look at it as more of a, something to invest money in. Like, you know, it really is, a, they, they would view it as something like, you know, this is something that's going into the public sphere and it, it should be good quality. Like, um, whereas that, it, especially in North America with, you know, suburban development and uh, big box stores. I mean, it, it's not, it, it's all a result of, uh, I, I would say it's all a result of modernism and, and, and how cheap buildings can be made now. Yeah, because capitalism in theory attempts to um, increase profits, especially over the short term uh, rather than the long term because yeah. that's what yeah. gives you the best bang for your buck. Whereas it's, it's interesting because this idea of like universal beauty, I think if you are able to take an old building and then repurpose it for something else, it must mean that there was something universal about its construction, which allowed it, which allows you to um, use it for different purposes. And yet at the same time, let it still fulfill its function as a, as a building. There's an yeah. example that I have, I live in Kelowna, British Columbia, and right now, and we have the Laurel Packing House, which a couple of decades ago was used to pack fruits. Um, and it was made out of brick and wood and 
when you go inside, it's like very warm and earthy tones surrounding you. Right. And now it's being used as like a vet, a wedding venue. And it's where um, like the movers and shakers of Kelowna go when they want to mm-hmm. um, have meetings and things. Like when right. the governor general came to Kelowna, we right. had event in the Laurel Packing House. So these old buildings do have that advantage of, of, of being repurposed for sure. Right. right. Well, and, and I think like another problem, like a lot of times, whenever I would kind of, well, when, when I was working at an architecture firm, whenever I would kind of bring up these things to other people who work there, like bring up, like, you know, kind of ask them, like, you know, or talk about traditional architecture to them, they would always say to me like, oh, well, you know, it's just not demanded here. Like no, no clients, no developers are wanting to do it. But I think one major reason, of that is because you know the establishment in Canada has been kind of this minimalist modernist establishment for so long I mean if the schools are you know pumping out modernists and minimalists who then start firms and they're the heads of the firms who are the modernists and minimalists and there's no traditional architecture schools in Canada it doesn't really stand a chance because you know in that chain of the 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 cycle there's no one to kind of show the public what what they can do i mean right. um like it, it really does astonish me the kind of um architecture that gets built uh in the united states and, and especially particularly in the american south in the southern states there is still like quite a robust traditional architectural industry in in the southern states and you know i, I just think like if if canadians were kind of shown the kind of beautiful new traditional neighborhoods that were being built there i think people would you know want to give them a chance um but i just think right now in canada there there hasn't been no traditional architecture just doesn't have a chance here it it's the way things are currently you're definitely making an impact on your twitter by (laughs) sharing those photos honestly like pages like the wrath of non Rapid yes, on yeah, and yeah, traditional yeah. Western architect. They have like thousands of followers. And yeah, yeah. I, I think you definitely do make an impact when you share stuff like that because it just puts into stark contrast the difference between simple, humble, traditional architecture versus sleek, modern architecture that didn't like dies within 15, 20 years and looks terrible. And that's the other thing. Like when like I there are many modernist buildings which I look at, which have been recently built. And I'm like, that looks pretty good. It looks sleek and it looks modern and it looks nice. But then I look at the other buildings, which are modernist, which are 20 years old. And I think that looks so crappy. Um, They do tend to age badly. They don't age well. Exactly. And it's like, guys, you just need to look at this 20 years from now. Do you think that it'll hold that it'll still be as sexy 20 years from now. And the answer yeah. to that is no, it won't be. Um, and so anyways, that's it. I'm glad, I'm really glad that you're on Twitter doing that. There's an architect, Christopher Liberos, I think his name is. Yeah. 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 He's, he's from the South and he's a localist too. So he's people. I'm, I hope, I hope we are able to turn the tide for Canadian architecture too. Cause it just seems more ugly than usual. Like yesterday I was speaking with a Dutch friend and he was saying that, there's something peculiarly ugly about Canadian um, architecture. <laughs> Do you have any idea what's behind that? That statement? Or 
yeah, or do you find that to be the case, that Canadian standards of beauty just tend to be a bit worse than I would say new others? Canadian architecture is terrible. I okay. mean, it is quite, I could honestly say for me, like, if you are a traditionalist, I would say there has been nothing really built in Canada within the last, you know, 50 years that is really, you know, pro nice or properly traditional at all. Like every single project, especially in my city, every single project, new project, it, it's not nice. And um, like, I find it actively ugly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it would be different in British Columbia. I mean, I think maybe from what I've seen, um, the only places in Canada where you kind of maybe have a bit of traditional architect, new traditional architecture being built would be maybe places like Vancouver or Toronto, like where you have kind of a higher market of wealthy people, like who can maybe afford to have like uh, a craft, like who people who could afford the craftsmanship, like who can afford to hire people who will like hand carve stone or like make a proper traditional building. Mm -hmm. um, I actually have seen a few traditional uh, developments in Vancouver and Toronto, but, um, and, and actually um, in, in the East, like in Nova Scotia, I would say, um, I don't know if you're familiar, do you know the town of Lunenburg in Nova Scotia? No. Um, it's, it's a small town. It's, it's actually, the whole town was declared a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Oh, okay. So actually any new building that goes into it, it has to conform, it has to conform to their vernacular style. So there's no, no modernist buildings are allowed in the town. Um, right. I actually, and I actually think that, that might be a method to look into, like for bringing traditional architecture into Canada in the future. Like small towns, like, you know, small charming towns that have a nice center like using their kind of local zoning laws to kind of control, you know, what gets built or, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I like that idea. Kind mm -hmm. of. Mm -hmm. It's definitely something to, to, to talk with other Canadian architects, but one of the things that I want to do with this podcast is interview um, traditional and classical architects from around the world to talk about not only what we're doing right now, but also how they are making an impact in their communities and how, we could bring that to Canada as well, because right. we definitely need that. Yeah, and it because like especially the last few months and in the last year, I mean, I've thought about you know leaving Canada, like as a possibility because if you want to be a traditionalist architect, it, you know, I would say it is next to impossible in Canada. But right. of course, I don't want to leave my home. Like I don't want to have to leave Canada necessarily. It would be nice if you know there was a a place in Canada for that. So. I mean, that's why I do think it's so important that uh, this kind of thing gets fostered in, in Canada and, and people try to work to somehow, you know, bring, um, give traditional architecture, like contemporary new traditional architecture a voice in Canada. Um, yep. Because there are definitely like heritage architects in Canada, like people who restore buildings, like do restora restoration work. But, you know, I, I would... You know, I, I wouldn't want to do restoration work for the rest of my life. Like, you know, I want to make some new buildings and in the in traditional ways. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, so last summer I was reading a book. I can't find the name of it for some reason on my iPad, but it talked about why modernism had taken over. And it did this odd thing, too, of linking um, modernism to 
the totalitarian movements of the 20th century, not that this means that we should abandon more modernism for that reason, as we've gone over before. But um, one of the things that they mentioned was that the professors of these modernist schools are extremely critical and they tend to um, be extremely abrasive with the spirits of their students. And, yeah, yeah. And the, have you experienced that at architecture school yourself? Uh, yes, I would say, um, although I think definitely like from stories I heard about what architecture school was like even 20 years ago, it was much harsher 20 years ago. I think they've definitely kind of, I think it's become less harsh, but I would say the problem still is I think, you know, what professors are trying to get the students to think in such contrarian convoluted ways like you know oh think about this differently how could you think about this differently and i think a lot of students end up struggling with that because you're i think like even for myself you know a lot of the work that i did that i received the most praise for a lot of times i myself did not understand like um you know you you'll create um well what one one big thing that was really that's quite popular at well at my architecture school I don't know about others but kind of making these collages um, like basically you know just taking images and, and creating kind of an, a collage to to kind of uh, uh, create a narrative for your project you know um, and a lot of these collages would be just so abstract and and so difficult kind of to understand but that kind of thing is you know they respond well to it, but yeah. Um, and, and I found a, a lot of times when you would do something straightforward, it just you know they it, it's not received as well. I mean, and, and I think that that is a major problem. Like the more convoluted, I mean, to me, like and like just to me, the more convoluted a project was, the more praise it seems to. <laughs> I mean, and and I think it's 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 quite an astonishing thing, but. Yeah. And, you know, I'll give another example is, you know, at the end of the year, the school will have kind of like um, an exhibition, like where they put all the students work and then the students will bring their families to come and look at all the work. Right. Every single year I brought my family to that. My family understood nothing. Like and they were constantly asking me, what's the what does this mean? What does this mean? And, you know, I'm sorry, that is not acceptable. And, you know, that's another I think that's another reason why there is such a huge divide between the public and architecture because now the public views architects as they view them as like these weird artists like the public thinks oh you know those abstract architects and i don't like and and you know when you go to a school's exhibition that's totally legitimized because you go to the exhibition and you cannot understand anything that that's on the walls uh, it's and of course you know <laughs> showing your family all the work like you, you're not going to explain every project to them like that would be coming I mean and, and oftentimes I would say to them you know I don't even know myself like I couldn't tell you I don't know what it's about yeah um, it's that's it's so sad to hear that because well what ends up happening is you uh, favor convoluted design in architecture and yeah. that's not good and people don't like it it there's it seems to me like there are two phenomena going on here one of the phenomena happening with professors is a phenomenon that um, happens in other critical studies programs in academia. Yeah. And I think this idea comes from um, Camille Paglia talking with Jordan Peterson. Oh, she's but, great. I love but, this. Yeah. 
Oh, oh, it's it's the idea of like the zebra herd and how when when biologists went to Africa and they were trying to study one zebra, they couldn't because the zebra got camouflaged. And so they would take some paint and they would paint the haunch of the zebra, but then the zebra would be killed by the lions. And the reason for that is, well, you would think that zebras are camouflaged, but they're not. They stand out. They're camouflaged against the herd. But when you make them identifiable, then and only then can the lions kill the zebra. And so the same thing is going on with the human behavior in academia with all of this convoluted stuff. It's that um, these people are talking in convoluted ways in order to um, exclude other people from their discussion. Um, And part of the the fun of doing that is you end up with a very small group of people um, who all speak the same language, but who can exclude other people at the same time. Right. I think another problem with that too is like, it, it, when you exclude people like that, it makes people outside of the circle afraid to even criticize them because they're afraid that they'll think they're stupid or something. Like, you know, the classic, oh, you just don't get it. Like, it's the classic, oh, you don't get it, so you're stupid. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's also a huge problem with, like, like I kind of wish, actually, when, like, parents and family would go to this the, the exhibition, they should speak out more. Like, they should verbalize, like, what is this? But, of course, you know, they don't want to because, you know, it's their kid and you don't want to, like... I can understand why they don't because you know, it's your kid in architecture school and you want to support them. And like, so I could understand why they wouldn't, but you know, I would encourage them to, if you don't understand something, say it because they need to hear that. Like I often think, you know what, they should bring in average people into these presentations because they would be astonished what they see. They would like, truly, they would be astonished. Right. And like, it's the whole story of the emperor's, I don't know, you've probably heard it, like the emperor's new clothes and how the child is the only one who says, where's the emperor's clothes? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it sounds really similar to this. And I think one of the reasons for why um, I admire courageous people who are able to say, this is bullshit or this doesn't make sense is because they're able to like, they're not worried about people saying, oh, you're stupid. They're just saying what they yeah. see, right? Yeah. Seeing it saying it as it is and um this afraid to criticize thing it it is very bad for for any subject because it means that you're not able to course correct um but anyways yeah um, I mean, and, and i think like you know in an ideal world i do think that modern and traditional architecture could coexist like i think they can but the problem now is that they it's so one-sided, like it, they don't coexist. So I think that's kind of like, um, like, I, I, yeah, you know, I, 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 not to like make it seem like, you know, especially on Twitter, because like a lot of times I see on Twitter, like a lot of arguments between traditionalists and modernists. Yep. And sometimes I kind of think like, I mean, I would never get involved in those arguments because like, I don't think I will change someone's mind and someone's not going to change my mind about this, right. you know? So what, like, I, I don't, like, there doesn't need to be all this arguing. Like, I, I think the reason why there is a lot of arguing is because modernists and minimalists generally control the architectural industry and traditionalists just kind of want a seat at the table. Like, you know, they just want to be, a, like, legitimized because a lot of, I think, modern and minimalist architects don't even view them as legitimate architects. Like, they view traditionalist architects as not legitimate. Right. which is you know, completely ridiculous. Um, 
I mean, even a, a, another example, like, um, do you know, um, it's called the Palladio Awards or Palladio Awards. It, it's, it's an award given out to like new traditional buildings. Um, oh, okay. And, you know, my whole time in like all seven years in architecture school, we were never told about that. Like we, we were never, you're never exposed to the traditionalist world and mm -hmm. not, you know, I'm not saying that every professor, or, like the professors don't have to agree with the tra traditionalist view, but they should at least let the students know, like, listen, we're teaching you a certain worldview of architecture, but you should know there is this world out there and they, they are architects. Like you can't deny that. Like they are building, right. they're creating spaces people love. They're creating nice, like public spaces. Mm -hmm. um it's it's yeah like uh, it, it's it, there, yeah. there really is two worlds operating and the problem is one of them doesn't recognize the other like that really is the the issue i think i, I so trump in the united states he recently maybe not recently maybe within like well, the last two years order like before yeah. the pandemic about yeah. the arc yeah i i know what you mean yeah. exactly he the order was basically um all federal buildings must be in the classical or traditional style. Right. Yes. And then the there was a classical organization which basically criticized his, his decision to do that because they said that classicism isn't a, a style, so to speak. It's a way of building and it's an attention to detail that in theory, um, even a modernist building could do and that by forcing it onto all federal buildings, um, he would probably be doing more damage to the style to classicism in, in the right. long run. Okay. Yeah. Um, and there was a book attached to that Twitter thread that I read called um, Classicism is Not a Style. Uh, and like, I don't see in, in theory why modernist buildings couldn't incorporate elements of classicism in their construction. Uh, but I guess it's hard to do when you see classicism as inauthentic or well, and, and the problem, I, I think like also the problem is there's just no room for experimentation. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like I, I agree. Like one thing I also like about traditional architecture is you can kind of, you know, mix and combine styles. You, the, like, you can kind of like incorporate vernacular um, aspects into, into things. But the problem is, you know, in architecture school, if you try to do that, like if you kind of said, oh, like I want to try to incorporate like a Corinthian column or a Doric um, element into something, they'll, they'll stop you right there. Like they won't even let you experiment with it. They'll call it pastiche or they'll call it inauthentic or they'll call it kitsch. Like they'll, th there would be no room for experimentation. Mm -hmm. um, like, I, yeah, I agree that it doesn't have to be so rigid. Um, with, with the Trump executive order thing, I mean, I, I actually, I would say I would support that just mm -hmm. because I think I really have a hard time thinking that traditionalists will I don't know. I, I think you kind of somewhat need an outside cultural force helping the traditionalist movement. Right. Um, because I just think, you know, the overwhelming power of global capitalism and the industrialization of building combined with the kind of um, minimalist and modernist hold on the profession, it's just a lot to overcome. Uh, and I'm not sure it could, you know, I'm not sure you could overcome it without some kind of help from a political or cultural institution. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously Trump is like a very dividing figure. You know, I understand that. 
But, um, you know, I, I think that a traditional architecture should absolutely be a cause that conservative parties take up. I mean, I could totally understand why they would and they, they should. I mean, if all the professors at like a lot of architecture schools are left wingers, like um, why shouldn't like do conservatives not uh, deserve to enjoy their own kind of architecture? Like to me, it seems it's, it's a natural thing. I mean, so if there is any conservative party, you know, that wants to somehow help traditional architecture, I would, I would support that. I mean, it, it, it would be a venue to do that. And actually, um, I don't know if it was uh, before or after Trump's announcement about that. Um, it, it was around the same time. There was an announcement in Britain, actually. They released a report, uh, of the, I can't remember what it was called exactly, but it was um, a report that was commissioned and the results of it kind of were that, you know, the general public really likes traditional architecture and it traditional architecture has been shown to have so many benefits and that we should foster it when possible. Like it, it wasn't as harsh as Trump's. Like it wasn't, it wasn't as like, it wasn't really an, an order. It was more just kind of like a report. So, and, and obviously the government in the UK is conservative right now. So I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's, and actually I, I think that they should, I mean, yeah, I would say conservatives probably would, benefit from that um yeah taking at that cause really it's let's hope let's hope um uh okay so moving back into your past what got you interested in becoming an architect in the first place uh well uh i actually have always kind of wanted to be an architect um when i was young i would always draw buildings so I mean, I, I think the the farthest I can remember probably was around grade five. I kind of consciously thought like, okay, like this, I'll go into this. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like, it, I don't really, yeah, it's not really a complicated story. I just have always liked drawing buildings and looking at buildings and it's, it's a just, true vocation. Good for yeah. you. Man. <laughs> yeah. It just, yeah. And, and, and so in university, did you go into university, like where did your appreciation for classical architecture come in? And when did you know you wanted to be more of a traditional architect um, than, than a modernist basically? Because like for me at least, I'm, I'm not an architect by the way, and I'm just like mm -hmm. an interested right. member of the public, so to speak. Um, but like I originally really liked modernist architecture, but then I started following Wrath of Non and my, my worldview completely changed and I can yeah. trace it to him. Um, did, did you have something similar or like, how did um, that? Yeah, it, it was, I, I would say it was kind of similar. I mean, um, when I finished my undergrad, um, I, I didn't take a break. Like the next year I went to my master's right away. Like I, I didn't take a break between them and kind of during, by the time I finished my undergrad, um, I mean, I wouldn't, I would say that last year was kind of like, I mean, every last year is going to be kind of stressful. And, you know, I guess having been in, in, in the, in our faculty for so long and, and seen what I'd seen, I was somewhat disenfranchised with things. Like mm -hmm. I, I kind of thought like, I didn't quite, I wasn't quite a traditionalist yet, but I kind of acknowledged that there were a lot of shortcomings and there was a lot of stuff that wasn't okay. You know what I mean? Like I could see like, 
a lot of problems. I could recognize that like, you know, a lot of these projects don't make sense. And it, it like, it, the projects that are being done in school clearly do not relate to what the public likes or cares about. Like, I could see such a disconnection and, and, and that disconnection just really bothered me. Um, so then kind of throughout the summer between my undergrad and my master's, um, I mean, <laughs> so I, I don't remember exactly when, but sometime between that, I also found the account, The Wrath of Nahantu. <laughs> well, I, I don't remember when I, when I found it exactly, but, you know, I, I just slowly started, like, looking into these things, and, and I, I actually, I think what really changed it for me was when I first saw, like, pictures of, um, of, of new classical buildings in the United States. I honestly was shocked, because they looked so authentic to me. Like, uh, there's a courthouse in Alabama. I think it's in Tuscaloosa. Or mm, I, I don't. It, I don't know exactly where it is, but uh, I'm sure people could like look it up. Like just mm -hmm. if you look up Alabama neoclassical courthouse, and it was built in 2012. And when I saw it, I was like, I was just so shocked because um, it looked beautiful. It looked authentic to me, and I, I, I just thought to myself, like, wow, I was never shown this in school. Like, I, I and and that was the first thing that really. Like, before I even really became a traditionalist, like, just that alone bothered me. The lack of, you know, intellectual diversity. Like, I, I, was, I was like, why weren't we shown this? Like, how come this part of architecture was never shown to me in my undergrad? Why, mm -hmm. like, it, and I kind of viewed that as, like, quite a injustice. I'm like, that, that's wrong. Like, you know, even if you don't agree with it, it, it should at least be shown. And then, you know, in my master's, my first year of master's, I, um, I enjoyed that year um, in that in my first year of master's, we had quite a bit of freedom with the project we did. And I kind of, you know, created a project I liked, but it was still kind of in the minimalist paradigm. Like it, it definitely is a modernist project. Um, right. it, it, it's not traditional at all. But then, but, but when I finished my first year of master's, I mean, kind of that summer, I did like more research into traditional architecture and saw more examples of, of um, even the philosophy of new urbanism. I don't know if you've heard of that term. It's, it sounds a lot like I've seen it on the Facebook page I was mentioning with all oh, of the yeah. thoughts. So yeah. that sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, by the time I like started my thesis and well, I knew what I wanted to do for my thesis during the summer. So by then I'm like, okay, I, I definitely am a traditionalist. Um, and then, well, and, and then throughout my thesis, it was just kind of this, it probably was like the craziest year I've ever had at university. Like just in terms of how much it was, it was quite, you know, mentally exhausting, like going through all these, well, go, you know, going through the, the process of kind of constantly having such a harsh, like quite a, like a harshness up against you. Like, you know, constantly being told like, oh, like, no, this, you need to, oh, no, you need to rethink it. What, what about reinterpreting this? Like, it, and, um, yeah, so, and then obviously after that, I was quite, you know, I was very, like, wow, this is really not okay. <laughs> after, like, I mean, it, it ended, you know, and, and it, everything, like, worked out, but, and it, you know, I was just glad to be finished. Right. Uh, you say often, you, you always mention the word reinterpret as something that your, um, your professors would tell you to do. I am not an architect, so I don't know what that means. Here is a photo of my water bottle. It's blue, 
It is one of those insulated water bottles. Uh, I'll put a link to it in the show notes below. But would you be so kind as to demonstrate what a reinterpretation of, um, of this uh, wonderful water bottle would look like? What, describe how, what um, your professors would have liked to see. I'm not sure I could do that, but I'll, I could try to give you a, a, an explanation kind of. Sure. Like, okay, like for example, like one thing that often kind of I was told was, you know, you have to, your project has to kind of fit in with the contemporary world. Like, and that was another phrase that I, I, you often were told is, you know, architecture should speak of today's society or architecture should speak of the modern world. But I guess kind of like the, the problem I have with that statement is like, oh, so architects just get to decide what is of our time? I mean, like, who, why do they get to just decide? And again, another reason why that statement is just completely false is that in other parts of the world, classical architecture is still part of our time. Like, it's still done. So, like, I guess the, the reinterpretation really was about, like, oh, how do you reinterpret this so it's relevant to the, you know, modern world? Like, how do you reinterpret this so, but, you know, it, to me, it's like, reinterpretation for reinterpretation's sake like it's like and and another thing that i i quite faced a lot was um you know i during presentations a lot of professors would say like they would always think that i want well i should say like my project like i said was based off of kind of the traditional slavic architecture of the original slavic settlers mm -hmm. who came to canada and settled like the the prairie region um, and a lot of times the professors would kind of say like, oh, like you can't expect people to live like they did in the past. And it, it was interesting because, you know, I never really said I wanted people to live like they did in like <laughs> the late 1800s. I, I just want to make a building that looks like it, you know, like I just want to make a building that, that, that has those qualities. And it seemed like they, like they couldn't separate that. And, I mean, I don't know what else to make of that. I just thought it was interesting. It's like, why can't you separate that? Like, we can make architecture that is based off of, um, or that is like within classical tradition or within any other cultural tradition. Um, we're not wedded to their lifestyle. Like, we don't have to live like, you know, like them. Like, yeah. it, it, did you include an outhouse? To me, it was a very illogical thing. Like, why, why are you trying to conflate this? Like, it's not related. I'm, I'm not trying, like, I'm not saying they wouldn't have electricity. I'm not saying they wouldn't have indoor plumbing. Like, it's, of course they, they, they can or they would. Like, it's, it's, yeah, so. Right, right, right. Um, I, I, the last thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, Twitter. Um, mm -hmm. You don't seem like someone who, well, you obviously don't get involved in Twitter debates, which I think is most of the fun of Twitter, but that's okay. Uh, what got you deciding that you wanted to get onto Twitter and how do you use it? And what has been the impact on other people? Um, well, I, well, actually I had Twitter um, quite a, like a few years ago, but I actually deleted it because I was just tired of it. Um, and it wasn't until recently, like last summer, I re-downloaded it and mm -hmm. made a new account. And, uh, well, I, I just made it because I kind of knew there was quite a strong traditional architecture community on Twitter, kind of. Like, I knew there were quite a few accounts that are dedicated to this kind of thing. 
so I, I just, you know, wanted to kind of follow them. And right, right now I use Twitter a lot kind of as, you know, inspiration. Like I love seeing other things people post and, um, you know, I save a lot of images from Twitter, like of, of beautiful buildings and, and whatnot. Um, I mean, I, I think that's also like a really nice kind of element of traditional architecture is like, once you free yourself from this idea that everything has to be reinterpreted and be original and, and, and be minimalist and, and, and um, just that whole way of thinking, once you free yourself from that, it, it's so nice to like kind of think like, oh, like I see this like beautiful element of, of this building. Oh, I see another beautiful element. Like, you know, and, and I, I've even seen it on Twitter, like where people show, like architects show the inspiration they take from like a, a, a building and they show how they like make another traditional building with that element sometimes like literally recreating it like recreating that element without you know much reinterpretation and i think like that's just one of the beautiful things about uh see i don't even know i wouldn't even say like traditional architecture in the sense of an ideology i mean that's just one of the beautiful things about not being within the modern minimalist paradigm is that you're not it's, I would say like the minimalist modernist paradigm is so dogmatic, you know, like it's just so dogmatic people like, and it's so ideological. It's just nice to be able to, you know, to see beauty and just try to recreate beauty, you mm -hmm. know, like as simple as that, like trying, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, yeah, it reminds me of an argument that I saw somewhere, um, which said basically that there can be beautiful modernist buildings, but most of them are really ugly. Uh, well, actually, to, yeah. But hold okay. on, Com compared yeah. to that, uh, there can be many beautiful classical buildings, but at least with classics, classicism, there's like a baseline under which you can't really go. Like the, the form of it itself can lead to simple yes. um, beauty just by itself. Right. Well, I would say, though, that is definitely a thing. Like, I, I would say that um, before modernism, the average building was nice. But the problem is the average modernist building is not nice for various reasons. I mean, one, it's not, like, it's often not nice because, um, and I, I saw this a lot from, like, even just working in a firm, a lot of times the budget of a project is just cut so much that the project literally just comes down to kind of the, the financial realities and there are no like um like there's no um there's no limit to kind of what can be cut or what can be like i think you know one of the best examples i think you see it in is like windows like in traditional and classical traditions windows have like proportion of windows and placement of windows is very um like there is a logic to it and there is like a beauty to it but, you know, you look at any modernist building and especially if it's a building that really just comes down to price, the, the windows are often the thing that makes it look the worst, like mm -hmm. the placement of windows or the quality of the windows. Whereas, you know, uh, if you, like if you have a traditional building, the windows are often placed in a very kind of a rational, simple way. Uh, and the windows are often detailed with some kind of, you know, ornament around like the trim or um uh, at the top of the window or uh, like a, as a, a lintel but on modernist buildings um the window is often just you know kind of a 
cheap white plastic <laughs> frame that just gets stuck on wherever it's it's yeah no right. I, I would definitely say that is like that is the there can be like bad traditional architecture though like well like i was saying like especially in canada i think you see a lot of bad in quotes traditional architecture because you have architects who aren't trained in traditional architecture and who or who just don't want to do it like they don't want to do traditional architecture but you know a client comes along who and you know the client doesn't necessarily want a modern building but they also don't want to pay to have a proper traditional building so then like i said you get these really horrible hybrid amalgamation buildings where like you have kind of elements of traditional architecture but you also have like really cheap elements of modern architecture and they just look bad i think the you see it a lot in like and i'm sure you have some in Kelowna as well like in large apartment developments or large condo developments um like where you'll have like this massive building and like all the balconies have like a little peak like at the at the top of them and it's kind of like semi-traditional but it, it really is not a proper traditional building if kind of you know what i mean do you have a i have google in front of me do you have a the name of a of an oh. apartment building that i can just look up and and see what uh, you're talking about uh hold on let me see sure. let me pull up uh let me see here yeah this is difficult to to talk about architecture over a podcast i know it's a very really... visual subject <laughs> exactly um, oh wow let me see here i'll see if i could find an example in Kelowna. i'm sure there is okay oh here this is a perfect example okay okay uh let me see okay i see what you mean the the yeah so you can like see like the balconies have this little kind of semi-traditional pitched roof but really the rest of the build like the windows are not properly like proportion, like it, it really is just a Frankenstein building, really. <laughs> right, right. This faux imitation. Yes. I see what yeah. you mean. Okay. And I think a lot of times, actually, um, like that's something that the like modernists and the professors would often use. Like when I was when I was trying to kind of say what I would want to do, one time one of the professors like literally said to me like oh are you and then they named like a build a, a home building company like because i think that the, they want to try to convince people that that is what we mean when we say traditional architecture you know what i mean like they, they want to make it seem like oh see like look at that like garbage like we but of course that is not what i mean when i talk about traditional architecture like i, I would say that building is just a complete product of you know um capitalism and and development like that building really has no uh true um or authentic architectural quality if mm -hmm. that makes sense you know yeah that does it does i also wanted to ask you about the the process for that goes on behind the scenes when building a building because that's something i don't know about as a, a concerned public citizen <laughs> um so you are an architect at an architecture firm and then a client comes in and they say they want to build a building, whether it's like the federal government, like who are these clients and how do they have the money to build these buildings and what are the buildings for usually? Well, from my experience, um, I mean, of course, I've only worked at one firm, so I don't have a lot, a lot of experience, but um, 
a lot of the projects I would say are what is called multifamily residential. And multifamily residential is basically that building uh, you just saw on Google Maps, like a housing complex, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and those kind of projects often have a very low budget, like, and they're produced by developers who often, you know, they want to make the building as, you know, as cheap as possible. Like, that's kind of their goal, which, I mean, it's on its face, that's not necessarily terrible you know like I, of course like everyone wants to be frugal like no one wants to spend money unnecessarily um but i think the problem is just that uh like the result is just objectively not good so it's kind of like i mean i would say like i'm not sure exactly how much this would be feasible but um as a philosophy i would almost say you know if you can't build something nice, it just shouldn't be built. Like maybe there should be some more um, kind of uh, standards or standards of beauty for architectural projects. Like, um, you know, if a developer can't afford to make a proper nice building, then maybe they should have to, you know, wait and save. And, you know, of course, I guess that would have quite a lot of economic impacts. And I'm sure a lot of, you know, pushback uh, developers would not like that and i'm yeah. sure that would i'm sure that would create a political like i'm sh yeah i mean that's why that's really why like traditional architecture is such the underdog because especially in canada because there are so many forces that i think work against it um economic uh academic uh so like a lot of forces uh are are working against it really right and i bet like my bet would be that um multi-family residential units that are built uh more with that are built with beauty in mind and objective beauty in mind they probably would have a higher value in the long run too so by constructing as cheaply as possible they kind of shoot themselves in the foot yeah these, these people well and i think too like um you know as an architect like and, and it, it's clear that like these buildings that are being built are not meant to last 100, 200 years. And I don't know, like for me, why would any architect want to build something that is not going to last? Like I, that's something I, I, I truly don't understand. Like why would you want to build something that you know is not going to last, is not going to be loved, is not going to be appreciated like by the, the public in the long run? Mm -hmm. um, and, well, and, and another big issue I would say actually is the like issue of zoning in cities because okay. a lot of times cities have quite um, uh, prohibitive zoning laws, like especially um, especially in Canada, which is a very car centric society. A lot of times, even the parking requirements of buildings are quite high, and obviously, um, parking lots could really ruin <laughs> ruin a, a a building. I mean, like all traditional urbanism is based on, you know, the, the pedestrian, the street level building relationship. It's not, you know, in a lot of ways, I think the car has kind of made things uglier. N not the car in itself, but, but the accommodations we had to make for the car have really ruined cities and, and ruined, well, I get, that's a whole other suburb, like the suburbanization of, of North America and, and all that. I mean, that has been quite also a, uh, a bad result for architecture, right. I would say. And, okay. Um, 
I wanted to ask you, so in your experience in architecture school, it sounds like all of the professors are asking you to be contrarian, to be subversive, to be a critical, um, and yet you are a traditional architect, which means that you're standing out from the crowd and you're not following, you're not fitting into the style that everyone else seems to be following. And to me, that makes you a contrarian. (laughs) Uh, I know. Well, actually, it's really funny that in a lot of ways, um, to well, and I would say uh, culturally and politically, even in today's society, to be traditional or more conservative is to be contrarian today. I mean, it really like, I, and I think that's the problem when like, uh, and I've heard this phrase from, um, I don't know if you know the philosopher. He actually re- died recently. Roger Scruton. Yes. Yeah. Um, he. I, I'm pretty sure he said something to the lines of like. You have major problems when the avant-garde becomes the establishment. Which is totally <laughs> what has happened. That is what has happened. And, and, and well, not just architecture school, but art, like the art, like faculties of art. And the avant-garde is the establishment now, which is a major problem. And, and now, if you really want to stand out and be truly, you know, in quotes, revolutionary, to be traditional and to want to return to traditional values and traditional ways of thinking is a revolutionary act, it seems, in, in today's society. Yeah, yeah, no, that's for sure. It's, and that's, like, I, I don't know if you follow constitutional law Twitter, but there's this guy named Dr. Adrian Vermeule. He just wrote an, a recent article in The Atlantic about, like, a new form of conservative constitutionalism, which basically meant that what's happening is the conservatives in the United States have been proponents of originalism at like reading the constitution in its original understanding. But now that they've stacked the judges in the the Supreme court and they're not actually, these new judges aren't bringing in the desired changes in the law that conservatives were wishing for. There's like this sleight of hand or this switch to like uh, interpreting the constitution from a common good perspective, like what should be the case? And it's based in morals. And like many of the people who are in this Twitter sphere are Catholic. And I'm noticing that they, they have these like two photos side by side, side, side by side. And it's like, pick one. And then on one side of the, on one photo, they have like a nine lane highway and like 50,000 cars on it. Oh, I think I've seen this. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then another one, it's like, you have, a nice, beautiful little town that you can live in. And I think moving forward, we're going to end up with the nice, beautiful town you can live in because people will no longer have to stay in one place to do it because of the internet, basically. Yeah. I Um, I think too, it's like, and I see this on Twitter a lot too. I think there is like this shift in conservative thought where um, before, I mean, have you heard of like the term like conservative ink on Twitter? Like, Um, It basically kind of describes like conservatives who are just, who just care about the economy, kind of maybe like the, the traditional Republican that has existed kind of throughout the eighties and the nineties. Sure. And I think now that there is kind of a shift in, in, in conservatism where people are more economically liberal, like more economically left-wing, but more socially and kind of in their worldview conservative, like wanting to live in like the beautiful kind of small, cohesive, nice town. Um, 
and not be so rigidly attached to the free market, which, I mean, the free market has been shown to destroy small towns. Like, mm-hmm. uh, global free market capitalism does destroy small towns. I mean, it brings, like, like the, the uh, when Walmart takes over a small town and shuts down all of its, you know, independent stores, um, it, it's, it obviously, like, yeah, that's, I would say that's not, um, not a good aspect of conservative thought. If you're just going to, you know, worship the free market, that's not the answer. Right. Yeah. There's definitely going to be some developments in the next couple of years um, to see what happens there. Um, uh, To wrap this up, I wanted to ask you about um, some book recommendations. Do you have any books or Twitter pages or or resources that people can go to um, to learn more about classical architecture? Because I don't, when I was asking you questions, I was asking you them as someone who has followed your Twitter page and all of these other ones for a while now. I was, I should have been asking you questions as if I was just a curious public person, but what book recommendations would you have for people if they want to learn more about the subject? Um, if you... actually, yeah, I just, sorry, I was just getting one book. Um, actually, well, the book that I, I actually purchased it semi-recently, um, mm-hmm. And I've seen a lot of people on Twitter recommend it. Uh, it's called Traditional Construction Patterns, uh, Design and Detail Rule of Thumb. Uh, and it's by Stephen A. Muzan, I think. Muzan? Um, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. Uh, I follow him on Twitter. He has a Twitter account, and he often posts a lot of good things. Um, and the book basically, well, I guess this book is more, this book is more of like a, a book for architects because it kind of, you know, instructs you how to properly you know, make a traditional building, kind of like the, the do's and don'ts and, and the proportionality of certain design elements. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess that, but, but I guess, uh, are you kind of talking more about like learning more about it generally, like kind of just learning more of the philosophy behind it? That's right. Yeah. Just, well, uh, I guess the, the use of reading such a book would be um, to go into city council as a citizen and to say um, that you prefer this to be in buildings as compared to this style, because there are these benefits that come along with it. Um, a lot of the books on architecture that I've, I've tried to go into so far are very uh, are meant for architects, basically. Yeah, but there aren't right. any that there aren't very many popular ones um, right. for the people. I, no, I think that is that is true like i i think um yeah especially like uh yeah i think a lot of times like books for architects can be kind of hard for like someone in the general public to kind of get into i guess um yeah no i'm I'm trying to think i can't really think of like yeah because kind of all the the books and kind of things that i've been reading are definitely made for architects um because like one of the reasons like you know since I was not trained in a classical school, I have felt that, you know, it's kind of incumbent upon me to like do a lot of self-teaching, like to learn more about like the traditional way of building because we were, I was not taught it at my school. So I have been reading a lot of, you know, definitely much more instructional kind of material and, um, you know, yeah, well, material made for architects. Um, right. And I, do, are you able to teach yourself classical architecture and and actually go and that is actually one of the that is one of the things i like about traditional architecture is that 
you know, it's very accessible to anyone. I mean, really anyone can pick up a book and like, you know, you can see, you know, the, it's like a little instruction manual and, and it's very easy. I would say it's very easy to understand. Um, whereas a lot of the uh, books that we were recommended in school, like the, uh, see, I wish there was like a better term because I don't really want to call them modernists because actually a lot of them don't like kind of the, the, the modernism of like the fifties like that, but I don't really know what else to call them because well, I'll just call them modernists for this, but um, they would recommend a lot of books that I could not even understand. Like they're very theoretical books, like very uh, theory-based uh, theory architectural mm -hmm. books, which I, I mean, I don't think those are like, they're not instruction manuals at all. And, and they don't really tell you how to, how to build, but um, no, that's something I really like about traditional architecture is that I think it's accessible to everyone. I mean, I actually have met quite a few people in my life who wanted to go into architecture. They went into their first year and then they dropped out because they said, oh, this is not what I thought architecture was. And I think that's a very telling statement because the architecture ultimately is for the public and no one should feel when they go into architecture school that, oh, this is not for me. That to me, that tells you something is wrong. I mean, architecture is in the public realm. It should be for public enjoyment. So it's, it should be quite concerning, I think, to um, schools of architecture that a lot of people go into their program and then just leave because they feel it wasn't what they thought it was. I mean, I think architecture should be as straightforward as possible. It, it, it shouldn't be complicated. It shouldn't be convoluted. It shouldn't be hard to understand, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I guess, I guess the, the barrier between picking up a traditional architecture book and just reading it is that at least for me i feel like there are like i can't just go and build a building you know yeah yeah i i don't know what's allowed what isn't and right. what will make it stand up and what will yeah. make it fall down so i guess there's that barrier but if you are able to i do you, i guess when you are um, building a building after reading all of these books you would probably be able to build a traditional building after reading these books. Does that sound feasible to you? Like, uh, like for the average person? No, as in, let's say Justin Trudeau came to you. Oh, hey, I'm, <laughs> I would like to build a new, what, a new library. It's going to be small, but I think it's a project that you're able to do. Would you be able to do it um, in a more classical design? Well, I think that, um, I think that I would have the capability to do the drawings for it, if that's what you mean. Like, obviously I could not build it, I don't think myself, like, like the physical construction. Gotcha. Um, but I think I would have a pretty decent grasp of, you know, the basics of how it would work. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can tell I don't know what architects <laughs> really do, right? <laughs> uh, okay, so you would be doing the drawings for the, the project. Okay. That is, well, actually, that, that is, which are like the, um, you know, the blueprints. Like they create the drawings that the, con the contractors will follow. Got you. Yeah. Got you. Okay. Um, and Zach, if people want to find you, they can find you on Twitter. Were there any other places that uh, you wanted to let them know? About. Uh, no, I guess that's pretty much, yeah, the only place where I am right now. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Uh, 
thank you so much for talking with me. No problem. It was a great discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the best, okay? And, and I look forward to seeing more of your, your posts on Twitter. Oh, thanks. <laughs> One last question. What oh, yeah? city are you in? Um, I am in Winnipeg, in Winnipeg. Manitoba. Got you. Got you. So that's where all those buildings are. Got you. Okay. Well, uh, take care, okay? And I'll talk to you some other time, something like that. Nope, that sounds good. Okay, thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye.